You are listening to the series, A Disciple's Songbook. The Book of Psalms is a rare and beautiful glimpse into the emotions behind the experiences of the people of God. The Psalms are poems and songs that express the beliefs of the Old Testament through struggle and pain, tears and joy, disappointment and triumph. Psalms 120 through 134 are called Songs of Ascent. They were thought to be recited by Hebrew pilgrims who were on a journey to Jerusalem for sacred festivals and other times of worship. This diverse songbook includes themes of thanksgiving, lament, celebration, and anticipation, all with eyes fixed on God, who is the source of all hope, joy, and life. As disciples today, on a pilgrimage of our own, we will turn to these psalms one by one to catch a glimpse of what our ancestors were experiencing and how they expressed their thoughts and feelings to God. With these songs as our guide, we hope to find the courage to be honest about our lives and the difficult journey we are on. We look to these psalms as inspired scripture, meaning that we find wonderful truth in them, God's truth, which leads us to a clearer understanding of God, ourselves, our world, and the road we are traveling. This series, called A Disciple's Songbook, will provide for us songs for the journey that are honest, inspirational, comforting, and true. scripture this morning comes from Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, hello there. Good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Stonehouse Church, and uh, we are excited that you're here. We're glad to be with you and you with us and so on and so forth here in St. Pete. We, um, we just kind of uh, are transitioning out of a, a summer of some guest speakers. The last uh, couple months, we had a bunch of different faces in here and up here speaking and leading us through uh, kind of a historic look at Scripture, just walking from Genesis all the way to the book of Acts and the way that God had engaged with his servants. And so I hope for you that time was as enriching as it was for me. Um, I, I think I pretty much ended every Sunday uh, weeping and taking communion and praying with my wife because the gospel uh, that was being proclaimed to us week in and week out is just absolutely glorious. And it's so refreshing to know uh, that it isn't my gospel 
gospel. It isn't our gospel. It is our, like it is collective. It is the people like of God. It is all of ours. So as we had these brothers come in from other places and proclaim to us the truth of Jesus, it was not some strange foreign truth, right? It was a comfort. It was a grace. It was Jesus himself being proclaimed to us. Uh, and so in, in that, I found just a tremendous amount of peace uh, in, in my heart and in our hearts as we know um, that God is being made much of uh, in many, many, many places. Amen. And so uh, we, we are excited about that reality. Uh, and we need to know that uh, though we are just kind of sometimes we feel like it's like it's just us against the world out here type of thing, that that's not the case, right? Like there are people who really love this church who pray for us specifically as a people. Uh, I get text messages all the time. I wish I could just like forward them to y'all just all the time. Uh, just people saying, hey, praying for you, bro. Hey, praying for Stonehouse, uh, things of that nature. I just called a friend of mine last week uh, to remind him not to stare at the sun without glasses because he was in South Carolina like right on the spot. <laughs> You know what I mean? And he had people from all out of town, like all coming together. And I'm like, hey, bro, uh, I know sometimes you forget the simplest things because he's, he's a great dude. He's very organized and, and, and really can build systems and structures, but sometimes he forgets the simplest little things. So I'm like, hey, dude, like suntan stuff. He like always forgets that and always burns himself. I'm like, don't forget, look at it with the things, right? And he said, cool, yeah. Uh, by the way, I was thinking of you last week. I was in a meeting here in North Carolina with pastors from all over the Southeast, and we prayed for you and your church. And I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. So God is gracious to us in that we are loved uh, and that people uh, are praying for us. So um, we moved out of that time into last week. We began a series in Psalms, um, especially or in particular, we're in the... Uh, the uh, section of Psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. And so the Psalms of Ascent are from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and we're going to be going through them one by one, week after week, over the next few weeks. And I spent a lot of time last week on introduction. I'm going to spend less time this week on introduction, but I would encourage you, if this is your first one of the Psalms that you're listening to, uh, check out the website this week and listen to last week's, uh, because I spent a lot of time introducing the Psalms uh, in general, and then also introducing the Psalms of Ascent in particular. So it might be helpful as we journey through the Psalms uh, just to kind of have that backfill information, that kind of backdrop uh, as, we, as we continue to move forward. Because the Psalms are really different in comparison to a lot of the scriptures, right? Like uh, before the summer, our big long series was Mark. Uh, and it was more than a year of walking through the story of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the death and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. So we are stepping through event after event. This happened, then that happened, then suddenly, then over there, then hey, look. I mean, it's like just boom, 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 we're going through. And now all of a sudden we come to the Psalms where these dudes like have a harp and they're like sitting in the corner singing about what they feel, right? We're going, what was that? <laughs> It's a massive head jerk to go from a, a, a fast-paced narrative of Mark to, you know, like this soft, poetic, song-like reality that's in the Psalms. And one thing I love about how we've done this uh, and that we have this contrast right before our eyes is that it shows us that Scripture uh, is, is really dynamic in what it presents to us uh, and that as we read Scripture, and I mentioned this last week, we need to read it uh, as it is, the truth of God delivered to us through the personalities of the men that he had selected to write it, but we also must read it literarily. I have to say that word really slow because I get tongue-tied on it. So we have to read it literarily rarely. See? <laughs> you try it. No, I'm just kidding. So um, we have to read it as it is. So when it's poetry, we have to read it as a poem, 
right? When it's a song, when it's an experience uh, 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 expressed through uh, poetic form, we have to read it as such. And if we don't read it as such, we'll miss so much of what the Psalms have to offer us. And so what we're, and this is really unique to actually preach through as well after preaching Mark. What we're really after when we're in the book of Psalms is to feel the truth of God, okay? Yes, to know the truth of God, but to feel the truth of God. To see the truth of God impact our souls in such a way that it begins to alter our mood, okay? Now, some of you high intellectuals right now, you're just like, wait a minute, huh? No, right? Like, but no, listen, God is personal. God is in us. God is with us. And so every part of our being is open to the invasion of God. So not just our brains, not just our thoughts, not just our systematics, but our feelings and our emotions and what we go through when we experience all of life. And so that's what we're after in the book of Psalms is to feel it. And so some of these sermons are going to be weird, dude, right? Like I'm just going to keep saying the same thing over and over again in a million different ways, right? But listen to your favorite artists, right? Those of you who read, read your favorite writers and authors and poets. What do they do? They express many of the same things again and again and again because they feel them on such a deep level. This is the grace of God to us in artists, that he gives us human beings who feel deeply, and then they express those feelings. David was one of those dudes. He felt deeply. He wrote many of the Psalms that we'll be reading. There are many, many other brothers in the history of, of biblical history that write in a similar way. And so we see here in these Psalms of Ascent uh, that as they're kind of a collection together, they are, uh, they are uh, somewhat in recognition of a journey that a, a, a follower of God would be on. And they're coupled together as the Psalms of Ascent kind of into a hymnal for these Hebrew people so that they would sing these songs on their way towards Jerusalem. They would be going up to Jerusalem. Uh, geographically, Jerusalem's high. It's on the hill. It's on the highest hill. And so these people would be journeying up to Jerusalem. And likewise, we as modern-day disciples of Jesus Christ are on a journey up toward God, right? And last week, just kind of the, the, the you know, like when you're just learning to drive a stick and just, right, like the jerk start, that's what we had last week, right? It was a 17-year-old learning to drive a stick. It was like, dang it, right? Like we jerked right into the Psalms of Ascent, which basically last week the cry was, this world is full of lies and anger and war, and I am tired of it, right? That's what the dude said last week. And at the end of the time, we said, here's what you do when you're tired of the world, you turn to God. Finally, at last, the recognition is made that this world is not my home, and therefore I must turn to God, my creator. And so that is the beginning of the journey that we were on, or that we started last week, and we step right into uh, the journey being, uh, being this difficult reality in Psalm 121. And so we're going to be reading these Psalms a lot. We'll probably read them three or four times every single Sunday. In your bulletin, you've got some questions that might help you journey through these psalms. Uh, those questions might be touched on during our time here on Sunday. So if you're a note-taking type of person, they might kind of frame some of that notes for you. Uh, or maybe it just might be a great thing for you to think about afterwards and kind of read through those things and ask questions 
Uh, and some even uh, will go through that uh, questionnaire type of process even in city group discussion, just kind of trying to continue to unfold these psalms. So we're going to keep trying to get more and more familiar with these psalms. So here we go. Let's read again Psalm 121, and we'll pray and we'll get going. Here it is. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. God, thanks for the Psalms. Thank you, God, for songs and poems, uh, for rhymes, uh, for simile, uh, just for experiences being articulated in a way that is uh, so unique and precious and treasured. God, we pray that you would help us as your people to digest these words in a way that is uh, deep and meaningful to us. That, God, we would um, look not only on these psalmists as someone who experienced something long ago, but we would look at them as brothers, um, that we would look at them as members of the family of God experiencing in many ways uh, a similar journey that we experience. And God, we know this journey is wrought with trouble, and uh, we need help, as this psalm so beautifully articulates. And so we come today to the helper. We come today to the keeper. We come to the Lord God who created heaven and earth. Lord, we know that you control the seasons and the times. Lord, we know that you are sovereign and gracious and good over all things that are happening, God. We know that you have a plan and a purpose and that your plan and purpose will prevail. And so, God, as we walk through troubles and sorrows and the realities that we face, God, may we take comfort and even find confidence in the fact that our God is our keeper, that he is our guardian. We ask this today in your name. We pray that you'd help get me out of the way today, um, that just the mere words of men would not be what take us in our hearts today, but the words of God would take us in our hearts that would captivate our hearts today. Uh, we need your Holy Spirit for this. Uh, we're flesh and blood, but we need the living Spirit of God to breathe into us. So have your way today, God. Uh, in the end, may our hearts be captured by Jesus and who he is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know why I'm like crazy out of breath this morning. <clears throat> it's this humidity, right? Um, so anybody been on a perilous and dangerous journey before? Like legitimately afraid for your life? Seriously, I want to know. Like have you ever been on a journey where you're afraid for your life? Because I have been. My wife might remember this. So I was, I was traveling with, I don't know, maybe about 25 young people in two passenger, like two 15-passenger van type things. We were on a tour that took us west. Our, 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 our home was Illinois, and we were out west for, I don't know, probably three weeks, something like that. We started at a conference in Phoenix, Arizona, and then we drove up the coast to California with a bunch of stops on the way, ended in Sacramento for a week, and then drove home uh, back to Illinois. And as we drove home, we had to cross the Sierra Nevada Mountains. We had to buy chains on the tire at the pass, or, or buy chains at the store at the pass, you know, where they uh, inflate the price to, like, $50 per link. Um, and so we had to put the chains on uh, at the pass of the Sierra, Sierra Madre? 
I don't remember. So anyways, we, we went across that pass. And um, man, I like, I dove full force into my idiocy, right? So I, I looked at my map. And I said, what's the fastest point between A and B? And it's a straight line. And so I found uh, the roads that would be said straight line. Um, and one of those roads was US Highway 50 going through Nevada and Utah. And I was like, sweet, you know, it goes right across to where we need to go. No need taking the interstate up and around to Salt Lake City. That's for fools who want to go the long way. We're going to go the short way. Yes. And so we continued on our journey, not realizing that the snow that had caused us to have to put chains on, because I didn't have an iPhone at that time. We didn't have active radars, right, in the palm of our hands. Um, yes, I'm that old. And so we, uh, we were driving across these mountains, not realizing that all the snow that was going to stop us in the mountain passes had already dumped itself across Utah and Nevada. And so we drove through the middle of the night on a U.S. highway that was unpaved. Um, and our timeline made it that we had to drive through the night um, just because of some of the events that were ahead of us. And so me and this young man named David Jones, who grew up in Wisconsin, I grew up in Minnesota. I'm like, okay, we got it. We're good. Two dudes who grew up driving in the snow uh, in the good old Midwest will make it across these mountains. And we were on familiar roads or unfamiliar roads uh, in, the, in, the, in the middle of the night, and the roads weren't even plowed. And not only were they not plowed, but they were mountainous roads. And so just you know, feet from us on the side are cliffs, essentially, that we don't even know where the shoulder begins on this road. And again, full-fledged into my idiocy, I'm just like, well, the only way out is forward. <laughs> and so through the middle of the night, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., me and David Jones with walkie-talkies connecting the two of us kept each other awake while driving through the snow, roads that we could not even see. I was scared for my life for literally hours on end. It freaked me out. Um, and we see in this process of walking through the Psalms of Ascent that this very next Psalm from the beginning starts with a cry for help, right? And like it puts at rest this untruth that often in our generation and in our context, we think that following Jesus leads us toward. That untruth, that lie, that deception is, so long as you say to the world goodbye... Like we talked about last week, I, I can't handle the lies and the war and the deception. I'm going to now turn to God. So long as I turn toward God, then everything will be smooth sailing. That's a full-on deception. It's a lie. It's not true at all. And so very early on here, we see this cry for help. This brother, in the very first few words of the psalm says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And there's a couple of different opinions on why he's lifting his eyes to the hills. Some people say he's lifting his eyes to the hills because that's where Jerusalem is. So he's lifting his eyes to God. Other people say he's lifting his eyes to the hills because he's in a cavern or in a, in a valley in kind of a scary place and he's looking up with fear. He's looking up thinking, who's going to be jumping down on me and taking advantage of me on my journey? And others say he's looking up to the hills kind of as a recognition that the hills in themselves, the mountains, so to say, uh, are in themselves kind of a greatness, kind of a grandeur. And so the idea poetically here is that the guy is looking to everything great in the world. He's sensing trouble. He's on this journey towards Jerusalem, and he's realizing, man, I... I'm going to need help here. And the first place he turns to is that in the world which makes him think there is strength out there. 
The idea that if I'm in need of help, I'll find help somewhere in the world. The reality that there is something great out there that can help me. John Calvin is under this conviction when he says, By the mountains, the prophet or the psalmist means whatever is great or excellent in the world. And the lesson he teaches is that we ought to account all such favor as nothing. The reality is, is that on a journey, on this Christian journey in discipleship, as we're making our way towards God, we will come upon trouble, right? So that previous false statement that we kind of have to do away with, we've got to recognize that even though I am on the way toward God, even though I've said to the world, I am tired of your ways, I want the ways of God instead, that does not keep us from dealing with the fact that there's troubles in the world, because there still are. We're still on planet Earth. We're still drinking the water that everyone else drinks. We're still under many of the stresses that everybody else is under. We still do so many of the things that the entire world around us deals with. And so we're in the midst of a journey on which we recognize I need help. And the question right at the beginning here for us is where do I go for help? Do I look to the strength around me Right? Poetically, do I look to the hills? Do I look to those things that are great and grab my attention and make me think that there is enough strength out there to handle this? Or do I turn to God? And thankfully, very quickly, this psalmist turns to God. He says what? He says that my help comes from the Lord. You see, last week we dwelt on the worst that the world has to offer us, lies and deception and war. And we said these are grievous things. And we know that we live among them. It's, 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 it's the air we breathe. That's the reality. So that was Psalm 120, that the worst of the world is around me. But Psalm 121 quickly transitions to this idea that the best of the world is around me. The great things that the world can offer are at my disposal. All of the strength of generations is at my disposal. Literally, my fingertips, I can just read about all the lessons of history. All of the greatest inventions, all of the deepest philosophies, all of the lasting religions, everything that is great in the world is right here for me. And the question is, do we turn to it? Do we look to it? Do we say, I need help. Oh, good world, help me. Do I say, I'm in trouble, I'm suffering, I'm struggling. Oh, wisdom of the age, be my aid. Is that what we do? Because the worst of the world we've recognized, but now we come face to face with the best of the world. And the best of the world is still not God. It is still fleshly. It is still temporary. It is still finite. Where God is spirit and God is infinite. God is permanent. Do you see this reality that we have to face? Will I go to the world for help? And the answer here is not shame on you for going to the world for help. The answer here is look at how great is your helper, God himself. And so our message too is not shame, 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 right? We did that last week. This isn't about shame. This is about a missed opportunity to turn to God. Same likewise here. This isn't about shame. How dare you turn to the wisdom of the world? You're so dumb. No, you're not. You're just like me. And together we are weak and feeble. 
And the cry is not, stop looking at these great things in the world. The cry rather is, look how amazing and great and glorious God is, right? One is the way of religion and one is the way of the gospel. Religion tells you, stop, don't, don't go there, don't do that. It's bad, it's ugly, it's evil. Okay, those things are all true, but if they're the motivation of our directional change, they will not last. God is good, glorious, great, and kind, and compassionate, and he loves you. That is what will endure as we continue to proclaim the truth of Jesus. It lifts us out of this need to find help in the world and up to a place where we find helper among whom is truly helpful, and that's God himself, right? Thank the Lord that only, verse 1 out of 8, is looking at the world here. This is a really helpful, poetic reminder of what we should spend most of our time looking at. We should spend most of our time looking at the helper and the keeper. And so we turn our eyes toward Jesus. Why? Because our help comes from the Lord. Let's read verse 1 through 4 again. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So as you look at verses 1 through 8, what word do you see a gajillion and one times? Shout it out. Anyone? Words? We keep seeing them. What? The Lord. The Lord. We see the Lord again and again. What else do we see? Keeps. That's what I was looking for. Keeps. Not to say you're wrong, Aaron. But keeps, right? How, keeps over and over and over again. The heart and soul of this psalm is the word shamer in Hebrew, which means keeper or to keep. I've got the definition on the board that says to keep or guard or observe, to hedge about as with thorns, to protect, attend to, etc. Again and again, the psalmist uses this word shamer to draw his heart up to the reality of who God is and what he can do. God is keeper, the psalmist says. God keeps, God can keep, God will keep, God forever is going to keep. He keeps on keeping on, right? Like the psalmist just continues to put this before us. And so in Psalm 21, or 121 here, we're going to look at three realities. Number one, we're going to look at a powerful keeper. Number two, at a personal keeper. And then number three, we will look at a complete keeping. So look at this. Verse 3, when the psalmist recognizes that help will not come from the hills, but that help will come from the Lord who has made heaven and earth, what does he say? He says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Uh, E.W. Hensburg says this, that the sliding of the foot is a frequent description of misfortune and a very natural one in mountainous Canaan, where a single slip of the foot was often attended with great danger. The language here, right, the poetic language here, naturally refers to complete lasting misfortune. So the psalmist here is declaring, God will keep you from complete and lasting misfortune, from the slipping of the foot, figuratively, right? He will keep you from falling into an absolute dismay. That is the reality of God. So this isn't just, hey, you're never going to sprain your ankle, right? This is there is a falling down that you never get up from, right? That's there. That's out in the world. And the psalmist is saying God's going to keep you, guard you, hedge around you so that that is not your destiny. 
that you will not experience a falling down that you never get up from. A falling down? Anybody experience falling down? Yes, right? Yes, many <laughs> fall downs, right? If we can use really bad grammar. Many fall downs, but never the permanent misfortune of not getting back up. And so God has the power to make sure that our foot is not moved in such a way. And then this statement is one of my favorite in all of the Psalms. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. What a glorious reality. So for this psalmist, there were pagan religions all around him, right? And one of the people that commented on this said that when he looked to the hills, that was actually kind of an anti-comment against religion because most religions had a, a kind of a, a worship place set up in the hills. And so he's saying, the psalmist is saying, do I find strength in those worship places among the pagan religions or do I find strength in God? And so this guy had amongst his uh, people and amongst the places he lived, uh, he had people who worshiped sun gods or a sun god, right? Or moon god or harvest God, or fertility God, or the, the, the rain and storm God, or the ocean God, right? These were these pagan religions. And often in these worship settings, the whole worship experience was kind of like a drumming up of the attention of the God, right? Are you familiar with the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Remember this story in 1 Kings where he's like, hey, maybe he's sleeping. You need to scream louder. <laughs> like that was the world. Those gods had to be awakened from their slumber. And here the psalmist says, God's not like that. He's never sleeping. He's never in slumber. His power is unlimited. It does not need to be replenished. God is never at a moment where he has to turn his attention from creation to himself in order to stay alive. That doesn't happen. God is living, never dying, never sleeping. And so he never has to turn his attention away from Israel, the psalmist said. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's never drawn away into a dream and forgetting about Israel. This is this glorious reality of God that we do not have to come before him and do some kind of song and dance to get him to pay attention to us. Whew. Right? Like, I don't believe that. Most of the time, I don't believe that. Right? We confess in here our unbelief. If you're uncomfortable with that, I'm sorry. Welcome to Stonehouse Church. Like, we talk about the fact that we are simultaneously believers and unbelievers. Because we by the Spirit of God, come to this place where we're honest and say, man, I, I mean, I, I wrote it once as an answer to a homework question, catechism or confirmation or somewhere. I read it, right? Like, I, I, I read it and I confessed it. But we have to come to this place where we realize, man, my soul doesn't believe that. And I have to confess to you as your pastor that my soul often believes I have to wake God up. That it's my job to perform well, to do my duty, to whatever, in order to gain God's attention. And the psalmist says here, God doesn't slumber. You don't have to wake him up. He's always watching. What a glorious reality this is. The confidence that comes from hearing about a guardian like this is based, listen closely, in the strength of the guardian himself. 
okay? If I were to tell you, don't worry, I got you, no one's ever going to hurt you, right? Like, you'd be like, okay, he's talking about kindergartners, right? Like, I got you, no one's ever going to hurt you. you, you There's not a lot of confidence there in me, right? But if Mike Girton said that to you, right, he's... Is he here? He's right there. Or Floyd Mayweather or Bruce Snook. If one of these guys said, don't worry, nothing's ever going to hurt you, be like, I believe that, right? Like, Mike's got more muscles than I ever thought even existed on the human body. You know, like, Bruce Snook's like six foot 11, and, you know, like, I'm good. If those people told you nothing will ever hurt you, I will always protect you, you'd have a lot of confidence as compared to somebody not as strong. And so in this psalm, the psalmist is just saying, listen, all of our confidence, all of our hope in the helping and the keeping is based in who the keeper is. It's based in God. Created heaven and earth. He doesn't sleep or slumber. This is the God that we have confidence in. But then, man, I tell you what, from verse four to verse five, we see this glorious transition because we go from a powerful keeper to a personal keeper. Right? Verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. There is a deep personalization and intimacy that happens when we jump from verse 4 to verse 5, where the psalmist declares that this is your keeper. The one who has promised and who has kept his promise to Israel now has promised and is keeping his promise to you. He's your keeper. This is a beautiful reality. And we need to be reminded that God is not just for his people, all of them, but he's for us too. He's for me as well. We talk about the difference between the transcendence and the imminence of God a lot. The, the transcendence is just the, the glory and the majesty and the splendor and the unmatchableness of God, right? He's higher and greater and above all, and nothing can touch him. He's just that glorious. So we hold onto that truth while simultaneously holding onto the truth that God is imminent, that he is close, that he is near, that he knows our hearts, that he's counting hairs on heads, that he is intimately aware of all our worries and stresses and troubles and doubts and our history, and our future, he's close, right? And often, and I do this, often I lean towards this transcendent part, neglecting to, the, to remember how close indeed this God is to me, right? And you may be on the other side of that, right? You may think like Jesus is my homeboy and like he's saving me a parking spot up front near the grocery store. Like, I mean, you know, like just all about me, 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 but we, we have to have these two realities in tension that God is, is just supreme and glorious, and that he's also close. And that it's not one to the exclusion of the other, it's both and, and in that we find that God is a powerful helper and that he is my helper. He is ours. And so God does have the power to keep and to hold, and he also has the power to keep and to hold me. And so the question is then, what is God keeping? What is he guarding us for? Let's read from five to the end. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore.
So we have to remember here that this is poetic literature, right? So the sun, it has nothing to do with the sunburn. It has everything to do with those things that can harm us in the day, right? The Lord is keeping us from the harm of the day. What's the harm of the day? Well, we're waking up stressed out, right? Going in wondering if you're going to have to have that conversation again. Being terrified about getting that call. I mean, whoever it is, the bill collector or the in-law, like, ah, that call, right? The terrors of the day, the stresses of life, the, the relational discords, the things that happen in the sun, so to say, in the light, in the midst of the day, these things often pose before us or, 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 or posture before us a danger. They're troublesome. They lead us toward worry and stress and fear. And the psalmist says, God is keeping you. And how about the moon? What are we talking about as far as the moon? I've never gotten a moon burn. I, I don't understand what that's all about. And again, poetically, this refers to those things that can harm us by night, right? Like the fear of the dark isn't just the fear of the dark. It's the fear of the unknown, right? It's the terrors. It's, it's those things that would paralyze us from taking a step forward because we don't know what's there, right? The sense of darkness and all of the harm that comes from darkness, from not knowing, from not seeing, from not having security, from not being aware of what's before us. All of these fears and all of these terrors that build up because of the dangers of the night. The, uh, the psalmist says that God is keeping you. And in verse 7, the all-important statement says, the Lord will keep you from all evil, right? And so all the way back from the beginning, these aren't statements that are saying bad things will never happen to you as long as you follow God. It's not it at all. That's not what's being said at all. All of history, all of experience would tell us that's not true. Jesus himself proclaimed, when you follow me, you'll have trouble. So we know that this psalm then is not saying that you're never going to twist your ankle or that you're never going to get a sunburn or that you're never going to have a nightmare and be afraid of the dark. What he's saying is that there is an evil within these dangers. There is an evil within these troubles. And God is keeping you from all evil. Bottom line, the Bible is honest about the troubles that we face. But it tells us time and time again that none of these things will separate us from God. God's promises endure in the troubles. God's declarations to us about who he is and who he's going to be for us endure in the midst of all of the sorrows and troubles of life. And Charles Spurgeon says this, that soul keeping is the soul of keeping. So when we talk about keeping, when we talk about God keeping us, the very root, the very center, the soul of that keeping is God keeping our soul. And when God can keep our soul, he has completely kept us. That is a keeping that cannot have that we cannot have stolen away from us. He continues by saying this, the soul keeping is the soul of keeping. If the soul is kept, all is kept. The preservation of the greater includes that of the less, so far as it is essential to the main design. 
He gives an example. The kernel shall be preserved, and in order thereto, the shell shall be preserved also. God is the sole keeper of the soul, the S-O-L-E keeper of the S-O-U-L. Our soul is kept from the dominion of sin. Our soul is kept from the infection of error, from the crush of despondency, from the puffing up of pride, kept from the world, kept from the flesh, kept from the devil, kept for holier and greater things, kept in the love of God, kept unto the eternal kingdom and glory. What can harm a soul that is kept of the Lord? If God has guaranteed through the shed blood of his very own son, Jesus Christ, that forevermore you will enjoy perfect peace and unity with him forever. You are kept. And nothing, no trouble, no heartache, no stress, no broken relationship, no physical ailment, nothing can change that. The psalmist says that our helper, our keeper, he will keep us from all evil. The deepest, the deepest depths of evil that Satan wants to do to your soul cannot be done so long as God is your guardian. Kelly read it in Matthew 10 this morning. If they can't kill my soul, what can they do to me? This is hard. Paul says in Corinthians that the outward nature is wasting away and the inward one is being renewed. He was old when he wrote that. I don't know if you know, but that was his fourth letter to that church. He was old. <laughs> Why did Paul write that? Because he was wasting away. And he said, there's something that I can't see that is more real than everything that I'm seeing right now. The psalmist taps into that reality. There is something that is more real that I cannot see right now. It is more real than everything that I've ever seen. Everything that I feel, everything that I experience, everything that I go through, all the troubles that I walk through, all the places where I cry help, they are all temporary. Your soul is forever, and it is being kept by the Lord. You might not need that today. I mean, you probably do. But like, there's going to be a day that you are going to have to remember Psalm 121 every freaking morning that you wake up, possibly for months and years on end. I'm not making promises or threats. I'm just saying this life is full of trouble. And God is your guardian. He is keeping the very center of your existence intact. And no harm will be done to that. It's a promise. Often, in order to find out how true that really is, in order to strengthen our faith to actually believe it, 
God graces us with immense troubles. Just like the song that we sang, gold to refine in those moments. Amen. John 17, I encourage you to take a look at this. I don't have the time anymore this morning. We looked at it last week as well. It's Jesus um, in a, a prayer to the Father just before he goes to die. Uh, it's referred to as his high priestly prayer. In the midst of that prayer, he says, God, I've kept them. I kept them. All except the one destined for destruction. I kept them. Like you gave them to me and I kept them. And then he turns them over to the Father. He says, now you keep them. Because I got to go. And I'm going to trust you to keep. Right? And then we know the promised Holy Spirit that was sent after Jesus ascended, that he is our helper, right? Like he's our paracletus. Like he's, he is the definition of God helping us. What is it? It's God in us, the Holy Spirit, helping us. Like that's a glorious reality. And so John 17, especially verses 10 through 19, just incredibly helpful. But in the midst of those verses, Jesus says to the Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one, right? And so Jesus' own prayer, which 100% answered, <laughs> right? Perfect prayers, Jesus. He prays, Father, keep them, not away from the world, but keep them in the world and keep them from evil while they're there. So Jesus' prayer for you is not, oh, don't let them ever roll their ankle. Don't let them ever befall trouble or sorrow or stress. Jesus' prayer for you is, dear Father, in the world, in the troubles, in these things that weigh us down, keep them. Keep them in it. Keep them there while they're in it. That's the call for us. And this is honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a full-on call towards mission. That if we know that in the midst of all these things, there is no trouble that will do the ultimate evil to our soul, we are liberated to pursue this world around us. Why? With love and grace so that they might look to God as their guardian. Right? So fear not, child, at meeting your neighbor, engaging in your workplace, having conversations with your colleagues, of those who are sinners, right? Like, fear not because you're being kept. And God never intended for you to be pulled out of that world. So get in there, right? Like, go on, get in there. Like, just we dig in, in this world of trouble, knowing that ultimately our souls are preserved from the deepest trouble. There's a lot of confidence in that reality to say, I will go wherever, right? Like, we think of missionaries, they're like, you're going to go, What? They get it, Psalm 121. God's going to keep me when I go to Afghanistan. God's going to keep me when I go to India. God's going to keep me when I go to the drug cartel in South, Af South America. God's going to keep me in the midst of tribalism in Africa. Like, God's going to keep me there. I, I have to go, right? And so we're missionaries too. Like, Jesus prayed not just for missionaries going to other countries, but for us in St. Pete in our neighborhoods. He prayed for us as missionaries. God, I'm not saying take them out of Kenwood. I'm not saying take them out of Northeast. God, I'm not saying keep them out. I'm saying keep them while they're in there. Please, God, do that work. 
right? So Jesus' prayer for us is for us to have deep confidence in this keeping ability of God so that we move into the most terrifying places on the planet knowing that no trouble can harm me because my soul is kept. Get that? It's powerful. Ultimately, God works in this keeping to bring about the greatest glory that the world has ever seen, the glory of Jesus Christ. In God's keeping, he's keeping us in his plan for glory and grace. God is keeping us in his power to declare the truth to all the world. God is keeping us as his people. I mean, if, if he just wanted to arrest us and take us away from all trouble, it would be like, I confess Jesus is Lord, Savior, dead, right? Like, that's what would happen. But because it doesn't, God has moved us into a new reality that says we live now for the glory of Jesus' name. And so to be kept is to be kept for the faithfulness of a God who's making himself known among a world that looks everywhere else for help. And so you're connected to, through God's keeping, an eternal glory that is being told through all generations. You're being kept into that reality, right? Like some of us read Psalm 121 and we think we're kept into comfort, okay? Some of us read Psalm 121 and we think we're kept into riches and a good retirement. We're kept into protection and safety and health. We've got to get rid of that idea. We are kept into the glory of Jesus. And the glory of Jesus is far greater than any worldly glory you'll ever know and ever pursue in the history of your life. We have to know this reality. The glory of knowing Jesus, the glory of experiencing his presence and power in the midst of our trouble, the glory of proclaiming that reality for other people to know, that glory is far greater than any other earthly glory we would ever pursue. We have to know that. And God himself is actually keeping us in that glory. He has connected you to a glory that is far more than anything you could ever imagine. And so I plead with you, like, I beg you, please don't think the keeping is just to shelter you and, and just to, like, it's to keep you into his glory. It's to keep you into this eternal story that's being unfolded and being told. God is, is keeping you into this glory, not connected to the help that the world can give you, but connected to the help that only God can give you. God is keeping you into that glory, into a true and powerful reality that can keep you from all evil. And so we go into the world with God as our guardian. And we know that through Jesus, we're connected to the greatest purpose that has ever been known, living for the glory of Jesus. And so he, the guardian, he does not sleep. He has the power to keep you. And it is a power based in his strength, not in yours. That guarantee is written in the blood of Jesus. How much can we believe that God will keep his promise, that God will do what he says? We look at the cross. The blood of Jesus is the guarantee that God has gone to the utmost degree to assure that he will keep our souls. He says, here's what I'll do to keep you. I'll give my son and your keeping will be completely secure in what he has done. This is the glory of the gospel. So today it's not, hey, keep yourself. Today it's, hey, look on Jesus, whose blood assures that you are kept. 
And it speaks a greater promise that you will be kept for him and you will be kept by him. And this keeping will happen forevermore. Let's read Psalm 121 one more time as we close. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, our keeper, God, our helper, we look to you this morning. Honestly, probably right in the midst of looking to other things. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we probably have already in this day looked to other helps besides you. We've trusted other things to keep us besides you. And God, I pray that we would hear loud and clear today that, that that's okay. That that's the reality of human brokenness. We look to the things that ought not be looked to. And we forget to look to the one thing that is guaranteed. And so that's our practice today. That's our, 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 our whole turning today is, is to turn to the keeper. To look upon our guardian who is powerful and able to save. He does not sleep in slumber. And he is our keeper. We know that because of what he did through Jesus Christ that there is a guarantee in this keeping. That we can trust you as we keep our eyes on you, Jesus. And so wherever we are in a wandering path of trouble, uh, of life, of sorrow, maybe we're in the good times. Who knows where we're at? We're in different places this morning. But God, I pray that in the midst of all these things that we would look to you, the keeper, and we would understand your, your power and your presence is real for us today. And that we can rely on it and trust in it and know that you're keeping our soul. We love you. We thank you. For this psalm, God, we thank you for Jesus doing what needed to be done in order to keep us. In Christ's name, amen.